Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. So Titus is another pastoral epistle, okay? Like First and Second Timothy were written to Timothy as a pastor in Ephesus. This is written to Titus as a pastor in Crete. Crete and Ephesus were very different places, um, and it's interesting, the location matters, right? Uh, Crete was a place where churches were established early on, um, but it was a very hard place to minister because there was some really toxic stuff that they were kind of known for. Have you ever heard of somebody being called a Cretan? Well, here you go, okay? Uh, so this is not necessarily a very positive place, but it is a strategic place to put a church because it was a an island off of the coast of Greece and uh, there was lots of harbors and ports so I there, there the thought was if we can establish churches in Crete then they could it could lead to ministries going all over the world okay so we're dealing with a hostile culture uh, they there was they were Bad, bad people, right? Uh, a lot of bad things going on in Crete, um, and there was violence. There was mercenaries who were uh, hired out to the highest bidders, you know, that hung out there. Violent, sexually deviant, all kinds of crazy stuff. It was like a kind of sketchy place to be, but it was the perfect place to establish churches because of how much influence it would have on the whole world. Think of Crete and think of California, Okay. We are the influencers of the world, right, or of, of the nation, big time, right? California influences the nation in a lot of ways, and so I like to think about it like that. So you guys are the bold missionaries to Cretafornia. Anyway, I don't know. Titus, though, what do we know about Titus? He was a companion. He was a co-worker with Paul. We see him in Galatians 2, 1 and 3. Paul talks about him. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Went up by revelation, communicated to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those among, of, of who are um, of reputation, lest any, by any means I run, might run or run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus was a Greek, right? We know that. And so he's hanging out, uh, speaking to, I guess, in a sense, his people. They're off of, uh, you know, Cretans, but off of Greece. Second uh, Corinthians says, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Uh, or if any our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, uh, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and your boasting on our behalf. So we have Titus is a well-known laborer, co-worker with Paul, uh, and he is a, a pastor. And so Paul is giving him much of the same treatment he's given to Timothy. He's charging him. Titus, I know what's going on around you. I know the influences that surround you. This is what you have to establish. It, you, you're not going to become like the culture, and you're not going to run away. You're, gonna, you're going to establish this here now. So I guess, uh, you know, with that in light, you know, we'll, you know, with that in, in mind, we'll, we'll start. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your, this time, and we thank you for uh, this letter to Titus, and we pray that you would speak to us through it as we study through it. And... Um, we just love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Paul starts his letter similarly to the way he starts a lot of his letters. He reminds them of his identity in Christ. This is the most important thing about Paul. Paul, a servant or bondservant, doulos of uh, and apostle or sent one of Christ. This is what I'm about, okay? This is, if you want to know anything about Paul, this is what I'm about, okay? Usually we ask, like, so tell me about yourself. What's one of the first things you say? I do this for a living, right? That's your identity, right? Oh, I, you know, oh, so, okay, who are you? Hey, nice to meet you. It's one of the first questions. What do you do for a living, you know? And, you know, maybe if you don't have something 
really that you want to say, you, you know, you say, oh, I'm in finance or I'm in banking or something, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but like, it's, it's like, this is where, how kind of we judge each other. Paul's saying that the thing that will most identify me is as a follower and a servant of Jesus, set apart on a mission, sent out for what Jesus and God wants to do through my life. An apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith, God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. Okay? So the truth, uh, according to the faith of God's elect, according to his primary identity is, and provision is what God has really done. There's the reality of what's really happened in his life. Okay? So he's been saved. It's obvious. God has chosen and called him, set him apart. Right. Remember, there's there's different ways that God sets people apart. And I think this is a lot of times where we get into the whole um, reformed um, Calvinist Armenian debate um, where it's like, is it is it effectual grace where God just says, you know, you are just you have no option. You're coming with me, holding us hostage. And then everybody else is kind of like. You know, hey, well, you're not, you're not in, so you're not in. Well, it would seem that there are times where God says, you're in, come. Paul's one of those. Hey, what are you doing? No, you're not anymore. You're following me. Okay, <laughs> I'm in, right? But then there's also uh, clearly decisions and choices that are made as well. But Paul is saying that, man, it's God's grace and his choice. He called me and brought me into this, Okay. And so, and with that has come a truth which accords with godliness. And this is important, right? Because it's not just about what you know, but it's what you know has taken root in your life to the point where your life is being transformed and changed. Remember, the culture that they're dealing with is, is toxic, right? And there was a lot of intermingling of the things going on in Crete into Christianity, and so it wasn't even a big deal to be a liar. It wasn't a big deal to be a coercer or anything like that. There was actually some that believed that, that Zeus was born in Crete. And Zeus was this Greek god who was, you know, able to manipulate, do whatever he had to do to seduce women and do all kinds of gnarly stuff. And so they had taken, like, their mythology and their background and, and their culture, and they were starting to attribute it and intermingle it in with Christianity, and so Paul's saying, no, that's not what's happening here. What, what should be happening is the truth and the knowledge that you gain in Jesus should change you from the inside out, transform you. So we got to ask ourselves that question. Is our knowledge, does it lead to godliness or does it lead to pride? What we're learning, how we're gaining and, and growing, does it lead to us going, well, oh, I know all about that. Oh, I can mentally ascend to that position. Or is it transformationally changing us from the inside out where we're becoming more like Jesus? And we find ourselves not more confident in who we are, in a sense, but more broken and desperate for God's touch and grace in our lives. This is like the thing that we'll always have to remember especially as you grow and you become more confident. You know, I remember just being a brand new Christian, being like, Lord, I just, I just need to make it through today, you know? I just, I don't know how I'm going to make it through right now. Like, I just am like, I feel like it's, the battle is just raging constantly. And you're, so you're in the position of praying through everything and you're seeing things as, as like, oh man, that could make me slip or that could make me fall or that could make me go that way or, or that could be affecting my mind and messing with the way that I, I, I perceive things and perceive God and understand him. And then you go, yeah, you know, I've been doing this now for kind of a long time and I think I've kind of gotten my sin under control. And you're like, bro, you have no clue. <laughs> You have no idea what is waiting for you on the other side of that arrogance. Yeah, and you can't even see it coming, right? And you, you also can't hear God speaking to you through the word because you're so sure of what you already believe. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I got this all figured out. I, I understand. Oh, that would never happen like this. That would never happen like this. Well, the, the idea is obviously we do want to know what we believe and have sound doctrine, that we would be strong in the faith, not moved to and fro by every little thing, but we, we get to the place where it's easy for us not to be able to let the word speak into our lives and change us and, and convict us. And that's what a, a lot of what he's going to be encouraging Titus with here. Convicting us in, of sin, right? That's the James mirror principle. The word is like a mirror and it shows you what you really are like. 
Well, what happens when we can't see the mirror anymore? We don't want to. Oh, I already know what I look like. Well, you knew what you used to look like. You don't know what you look like anymore unless you look today, right? Look at a picture of yourself now and look at a picture of yourself 10 years ago. Is there a difference? I know, don't be sad. I, we're all in the same boat, okay? But that's the reality of it. We got to keep ourselves in that position because it's the truth which accords with godliness. It leads towards godliness. It will become, make you more godly if it's, if it's actually having the effect it's supposed to have on your life. It won't make you more arrogant and proud and, and rude. It'll actually make you more humble because you go, oh my goodness, I am even more messed up than I thought. I think that we get that picture from Paul. He has that picture in his, in his own life. Um, Okay, here. So, uh, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So, keeping hope of the life to come helps us keep focus on the life that is now. Right? We're thinking of the life that is to come, so we're reminded of what is coming. Right? We know that there's something bigger and greater. So there's, there's a, a landmark that we're looking at beyond what we see now in front of us. Right? It's the idea of training. Right? When you're training for something, you're not thinking about what you're doing right now. You're thinking about what that's going to mean for the future. When you start doing, say, marathon training, you're going to start slow. You're going to progress. But the, 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 the goal is not to do the one mile, the two miles, the 10 miles. That's not necessarily the goal. The goal is the marathon. But that's what keeps you moving through all those other things. But it's, it's in the process of running those other increments that makes it so you can actually do the mile. I mentioned it before. Our football, it said uh, football work, workout rooms, the champions are made in the weight room. You know what that means? It means that you battle and you work hard now, it's going to make a big difference later. The champions are made right now, six months before you even hit the field. You better do it now. You're going to wish you did then. So as Christians, we have a similar mindset. We're going, there's a life to come where we no longer will have the same influence on people and have the same uh, opportunities that we have now. So we look at the life to come and we go, that is going to be amazing. But how does the, what's coming uh, affect the way we live now, it should greatly affect the way we live now. But if we're stuck living for what is now, then even what is to come has lost its allure and we've, we've completely missed the mark. And that's the problem. You start making marks that are a little too close together, you can, you can lose it. You know, we need a, a landmark that's afar off to keep us on the path. This is the direction that we're going in. We're not skating, going to the side. So all of the decisions we make are aligned by that. But the decisions we make now will affect that. So it's kind of funny. It's like, you got to think like this, eternity. Uh, but how do we get there? Well, it's by how we live it out right now with that in mind. So they, it works both ways in a sense. You guys know what I mean? So Paul's saying, the hope of eternal life, uh, which God, who cannot lie, this is a blow against Zeus and their other gods and the way that they're living. This God cannot lie. You want to think, is there anything God can't do that I can do? Yes, lie. God cannot lie. Chew on that for a second. Tell me that doesn't like make your Bible reading come to life. <laughs> when you're reading through the Psalms. When you're reading through, you know, the prophets. When you're reading through the Gospels. This is a God that cannot lie. What he says is true, right? There's, there's nothing that will pass, not, not, not one bit of his word will pass away. That's pretty cool, right? So you got to understand uh, that Paul is establishing a new way that is counterculture uh, like to the max, to the way that they see life. Like, imagine if you thought that your God said it's cool for you to lie as long as you get what you want out of it. You know, that's what's going on. And that's actually what's going on right now, isn't it? Like, we believe that there's, that there's an okay path for us to get there. This is counterculture to the max. But that's, that's what Christianity was always supposed to be. 
it was never really supposed to be, you know, lived out in these weird little pockets and circles, you know, where, where you don't have to deal with any of the big bad world, you know, and you could, you could just sit there in peace. Two problems with that. One, you're not infiltrating the world and seeing dead men like yourself come to life, right? And the other one is, you're sitting there like that, they will come for you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, your circle will get smaller and smaller as you continue to give up ground. And, and this, isn't a, this isn't a physical fight, this is a spiritual fight, right? And so we are called as children of God mandated to go and preach the good news of the gospel and to disciple all nations. We are called out to become part of God's big plan. God has called us to this. It was always, uh, God was always there and there was always a plan. In due time, but in due time, manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of our God and Savior. So how's, what's the solution? Faithful men preaching the word of God. God manifested, that's the plan. And we go, God, why are you using us? Because a lot of times we, we can like rest well at night. We go, you know what? God's got it under control. Just don't worry about it. It's all him. He's got it. God's, God's going to do it. You know, he could do it. You know, he doesn't need me. Um, he kind of makes it seem like he does and wants you at the very least. He has chosen to partner with us, which was, again, going back to the beginning, that was the plan from the very beginning. Partner with us. Us partner with him. So what does he say? How do we overcome what's going on and the, the weird gnarliness of culture? Is that we align ourselves with God and then we go and we do. We preach the good news of the gospel. We'll see. It's going to be exhorting, encouraging at times. And it's going to be convicting, knocking stuff down at times. But it's all done through the power of the Holy Spirit and by preaching the word of God. So that's what he's encouraging him with. We can be encouraged with that as well, right? Okay, so this is the method, and this is the method God chose to use. He chose to involve us. Why? Because he loves us. He wants us to be a part of it. You know, we've I've talked about this many times before. Anytime you bring your kid into anything you're doing, it takes it how much longer? Three times as long at least, you know? Uh, can I hammer, the, hammer it in? Yes. And I was like family camp, you know? We're like, I'm just like, I got, I'm like a machine, man, with that tent. I got it down. I know what to do. Bing, bing, bing. Let's go next. Lay them out. Hey, hey the kids want to help. Lay out them, then lay out the stakes. And let dad come through. He's got this. Dad, can I start nailing in the stakes? Yes. You can. And I was just like, yeah, this is amazing rite of passage. You're learning how to put up the tent. And if I'm really smart, I won't be putting up the tent in a couple years. I'll be laying out the stakes. Here you go. Here's the stakes. There's the tarp. You know what to do. I'm going to make myself a pot of coffee, you know. But that's the idea is when you, you care, you, you bring people in, even though it's inconvenient, you love them and you want them to experience it. And boy, the joy on the face when they did it, knock, you know, put those stakes into the ground. Woo, that was a lot of work. I know, man, go get yourself some water. You're like, this is the softest ground I've ever nailed a stake into. Right? You know, you got anything, oh, this is like, but good job. That is exactly what it's like us with God. He's like, hey, once you nail that stake in the ground, your legs are just like, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. Boom, boom, woo. He's like, yeah, you get, just go take a Sabbath, man. He's like, I set you up. I made the ground soft. I, I, you know, this was just, you just were swinging. I was actually swinging the hammer, too. You just had your hand on it, you know. We were convinced when we were kids, we were driving the car. You're shifting gears. I know how to drive a stick. You just, mm, mm, what, you know, that's it, you know. Don't know about the clutch. You're not touching the clutch, you know. You have no, no idea about any of that. You're just like, yeah, this is how you drive. I've got this. And, and it's not even just your hand. It's your parents' hand with you. Okay, here we go. Now here we go. Now here we go. I miss manuals. You guys miss manuals? They're the best. Okay. Um, 
So this is God's method he decides to choose. So be encouraged by that. You are his choice. You made the team. (laughs) He wants to use you. That's why it's so problematic when we don't show up. Because he's like, this is the way I've decided to do it. And I think a lot of the problems you could see in the world are because of a lack of Christians showing up to infiltrate the system in a good way. Sounds really bad, right? But like to go and to be lights and to bring hope and to speak truth everywhere we go. To see people who are hurting and to reach out to them and love on them in the love of Jesus. This is how we do it. God will do it. Yes, absolutely. But he wants us to be part of the process, okay? That was Paul's life, and he knew it. That's what he's encouraging Titus with. Titus, a true son uh, in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Timothy, again, Titus was like a son in the faith. Uh, and he says our, uh, what did he, he, he call it? He says our common faith. I thought that was an interesting word that he used, our common faith. It's like basic faith. Nothing crazy. It's, it's unordinary, in a sense. You know what that means? No, it's not like some weird niche thing. It's the same thing we're all under. Like, we're all following the same faith. Paul is, he's ex, makes that point a lot. I preached you the gospel I received. It's not a new thing. I'm not giving you a new gospel. It's the same one I received. It's still good enough. We don't need more good news. We don't need more... Uh, flash and flare. This is the good news. This is the mutual faith. And that's what really bonds us together. Verse five, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. This is why Titus was there. He was sent there and left there to set order. Remember, what was it that Adam was called to do? Rule and subdue the land. Bring order. You find an apple or apple tree, make an apple orchard. (laughs) Make lines, make order out of it, right? You find some wood, make some structures. Start putting it together. Bring life, create. You've been given this image of God that you have the ability to create in a small sense. It's It's actually amazing what humans can create, isn't it? Great, beautiful, wonderful things and horrific things too. But we have this ability to create, to bring rule and order. That is what Titus was being called to do, to set order, rule and subdue. Um, and then what he's going to be called to do in, in, in Crete is very similar to what Timothy is called to do in Ephesus. And what is really interesting here is, again, the common faith even in different contexts, the remedy is the same, right? You still need godly men who are, are going to stand up uh, with godly character, godly women also. I mean, that's not what he's saying as far as the, the bishop position. He needs godly men and women that will stand against the culture's tide, right? That will be uncompromised in their inner life, able to preach the word and doing it often, seeing transformation. It's the same thing no matter where you go. So you go, oh, that works here. It doesn't work here. No, this message works everywhere. But the way that we hear people and the way that we understand where they're at, man, we might apply it in a different sense, but it's the same message, okay? If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. So here's the, the, um, the ruling. It, we're going to go through it somewhat quick because we just did this in, in, in Timothy, right? Uh, if a man is blameless or above reproach and he's a good husband, a husband of one wife, uh, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, blameless, above reproach, uh, good husband, kids who are in order, not accused of debauchery or rebellion. That's the other way to look at it. Debauchery, rebellion, being outside of that, right? For a bishop must be blameless. Again, that's that word blameless, above reproach as a steward of God. That's a manager of God. That means you're under God doing God's work. Is that sobering? <laughs> My boss is a Jewish carpenter, you know, right? That is, that is sobering to us. That we've been given this responsibility as children of God to do the work of God. 
That keeps you up at night, by the way. You realize that. Like, God has given you responsibility. And what a good leader to give responsibility to those he's training up. He's trusting us with it. No, now he didn't just say, go and do it, you know, try your very best. No, he transforms us from the inside out. He gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work of ministry. And then he gives us the word to be the thing that we minister from and to, you know? This is, co- this is cool, right? It's great. We're all set up. So manager of God, that's steward of God, not self-willed. You know what? That is stubborn. Uh-oh. <laughs> You're like, I didn't know that one was in there, right? This we could be stubborn. I mean, I realize that. I, I have had to deal with my own stubbornness, you know? When there's times we recognize, I'm just, I'm just being stubborn. I, I don't believe what I believe anymore, or I say I believe, but I'm not going to give up because I'm not a quitter. And boy, does that make me noble. You know, we kind of get the idea. It's like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to give in. I'm going to not be a quitter. It's like, yeah, you're just stubborn. So stop trying to like make it sound like it's cooler than it is. No one around you thinks it is cool at all. Right? So not, self, not uh, self-willed or stubborn, not quick-tempered. Uh, it means, you know, you're not like, you're not easily set off. If you're easily set off, you're easily controlled. Uh, and, and sometimes you think, uh, I actually felt like having a quick temper helped me when I was younger to some extent. Because it's like, everybody watch out. <laughs> you never know which one's going to light the fuse, you know? And I've grown as I get older, you realize you're just easily manipulated if you're quick tempered. And so somebody can take you, they can ruin your whole day if you let them but we know who we are in Christ. This is not where we, this is not how we live. We're not quick-tempered like that, okay? Not given to wine, right? And you guys, when we look at all these, we could see how all of these have ruined those who are in charge of ministries before, right? So what is it? Not being blameless or above reproach, you know, having t- too many stinking dirty secrets, Right? Not, manage, not realizing you're a manager of God and thinking it's for you, where you all of a sudden you look around and you think you're God. What's the next one? Not self-willed or stubborn. This drives everyone around you away. And it leads you alone. And it doesn't go well at all, right? Quick-tempered, you lose your temper really quick. Run, you know? It's like that's, that's hard to be around. Fortunately, I've known a lot of people in ministry that are kind of known for that, and they get a pass. <laughs> That's okay. It's just the way he is. You're like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Does God want to change that, or can he? Or No. It's, yeah, like we said before, oh, he's Irish. You know, it's okay. Um, so then he's or, so able to control his temper, not given to wine. If you're given to wine, you're, again, easily manipulated, right? And, and, and you're, who's in control? Not you. And then it says, not violent. Uh, and you know what it really means? Not a bully. Again, that's problematic. A bully, where you're bullying people around. You're, you're, you're forcing them by will, by, by showing, you know, you're not going to do this. You will listen to me. And that happens a lot too, doesn't it? Sad. It's like this list, it's like, I wonder if any, it's like, has any... I, has this been written down anywhere? Oh, yeah, it's in the Bible like multiple times. If we just keep on going back to this list, we save ourselves a whole bunch of problems, right? Um, so not being a bully and not greedy for money. All these things are controlled by money. All these things have shipwrecked so many amazing men and women in the faith. So we have to be really cautious and careful how we look at all these things. Here's a response, not that. You don't want to be that. You want to be this. Hospitable, lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. Okay? Hospitable, it's friendly to others, letting them in. Right? That's the idea of being hospitable. It could literally mean into your house, but it, it's letting them into your life, isn't it? It's like letting, it's being, it's, the gift of hospitality is an amazing gift. You know it when you're around it. But we all might not have the gift of hospitality, but we all have to be hospitable 
to people, right? And I think you guys do a really good job at that. And I've heard it from multiple people that they came here to the church and they were felt so loved and so welcomed that they're like, oh, we're here. And they're like, we can endure the, the teaching, you know. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, letting them in, right? Hospitable lovers of what is good. That's, we were just talking with the youth on Friday about meditate on these things. This is from Philippians. Where your mind goes, there goes your life. So what you surround yourself with, there is the path. So if you're listening to these voices, don't be surprised that your life will now align with that, right? So the, the, the ways we think, the things that we meditate on, the stuff we chew on, that has a huge effect with our lives, the way that we go, especially when you're living in a world that's hostile to the gospel, when there's a lot of voices that are, that are, that are really, really toxic. It's amazing to see how easy it is to be convinced of crazy things. We're watching it happen. Like, how in the world does anyone think that's a good idea? And you go, well, this is exactly how it happens. Remember, what does Satan do? Deceives. Those who are deceived. It's a deception. You don't know you're caught in it. It sounds somewhat reasonable. And the more you hear it, the more it makes sense. And it doesn't actually mean that it's making more sense. It means that your, your guard and your conscience, in a sense, are being worn away. So what is the result and response for Christians? We've got to be really clear about what we believe and why we believe it and be very careful about the voices that we listen to, the voices that we allow in. So you've got to say, search me and know me, God. Am I watching too much news? Search me and know me, God. Is there too much social media in my life? Search me and know me, God. Is this music affecting me negatively or positively? Is this reading or blog or podcast, is it producing in me something good or not? Search me and know me because I am easily deceived. And like we talked about two weeks ago, the dating thing, right? A lot of times, the more toxic the relationship, the more the other person doesn't want you to have friends around, Right? Oh, let's just get rid of them. And all of a sudden you like isolate yourselves. My friends just don't get her. They'll, they just don't understand what I see. And then she's like, you know, you don't need friends like that. Or vice versa, a guy, let's just go over here and let's go into my cave, you know. <laughs> and whereas there's people in your life, you go, uh, she's nuts. Or, dude, this guy's a terrible guy. Run, get away. Like, you can't be by this person anymore. You're slowly getting deceived, being brought in. So it's the same thing for us. We've got to go, Lord, I don't even know where I'm being deceived. But you can, here's the thing. We can definitely be assured of. It's something. There is something. So maybe that, that releases us to not feel like this is for others. No, it is for you and me. Where am I deceived? Where am I allowed a voice that does not belong? God, you know. And then bring other people into your life and go, what do you see in me that's like super toxic? That's a really easy conversation to have, by the way. What do you see in me that's really bad and gnarly and horrible? It's like we, I am so grateful I have a wife that tells me the truth about things. But sometimes I'm like, brace yourself, it's coming. <laughs> like you're like, that's, you're gonna tell me the truth. I know that. And I love that because it's like, how do you expect to move on from that if you don't realize that this is not something good in your life? That's what you get when you are close to someone. And we talked about that. In, if you're married, that's that. If not, and you're, you're single, you got to have still relationships where you're close, where someone can speak into your life. And you're not stubborn, so you can't hear it. Because you go, hey, right now, I can see the problem with you. Soon you'll see the problem with me, I'm sure. And by the way, if somebody brings something up with you, that is not the time to counter with the thing that's wrong with them. Can I be clear about that? If somebody brings something up, go, hey, look, I, I love you. And that's a, gives a great way to start. I love you. And I want the best for you. And I just got to tell you, this is, I've been noticing a trend and it's, and it's like not positive and it's not godly. 
and it's, I don't know what's going on. What, can you explain it to me? Are you okay? Something like that, you know? And then your response isn't, well, I've been noticing a bunch of things about you, right? Where you fire back and you, you know, they're like doing it in love and you are not. You're doing it in revenge, right? So we allow these voices in our life. We allow the Lord to confront us. We allow his word to confront us. You show up at church and deal with things that are not fun. I heard last week the message, people were like, I hated that message, but it was so good. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, (laughs) I guess, you know, because they were saying it was like, it was painful in some sense, which is like, yeah, I feel that all the time. Studying, reading, it's like, ugh, that's convicting. But it sure is good to be convicted. Sure is good to have God talk to you, right? As opposed to being like, keep drinking the poison. It's probably good, you know? That's the difference from the world. And that's really one of the major things that's actually in play right now. That's one of the major things that's being spoken of. No, you don't let anyone tell you anything is poison. It's fine. If you like it, it's not poison for you. You're like, and somehow we've accepted this. It's not poison for you. Well, what does your body say? Your body says it, in fact, is. And you call your body full of hate. What is wrong with my body? It's full of hate. doesn't believe that I like, like to chew on, you know, rat poison every once in a while. I told it it was food. What's wrong with it? It's not accepting. You're like, okay, wow. That's what's going on, though. So we got to be really cautious about this. This is who we're supposed to be, right? And then what does he say? Uh, just, okay, so lovers are good, hospitable lovers of good, sober-minded, so we can think clearly. We're not easily manipulated. Again, just and holy, righteous, and remember holy, set apart. I love that again, the image. The plate that's holy is the plate that has been dedicated to the Lord. Dedicated. That's what holy means. You've been set apart. Holding fast uh, to the word, uh, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince and convict those who contradict. Um, holding fast is devoted to the word, being taught and able to teach. So as you're teaching, you're also willing to be taught. The things that I, I, I don't just say it, I have to actually respond to this in, in my own inner life. That's a dangerous place to be. You're no longer teachable, okay? Um, through sound doctrine and understanding, uh, under, uh, encourage and convict those in error. That's the exhort and convict. Encourage those and convict those who contradict, who are off. Speak the truth. Don't be afraid to speak the truth. How are we supposed to speak the truth? In what? Love right? In love. So we're not doing it with an arrogance or a haughtiness. We're not taking it to the street in violence. We're speaking the truth in love in a way it could be understood, but without any compromise, right? Verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. There is a real problem at hand. There's a real thing going on, right? And it has to be dealt with. Uh, we see those Judaizers, we see them all over the place where they come in, and these wouldn't really be probably Jews. It'd be those who have taken on uh, the Jewish elements and are trying to enforce it, but it's for their own gain. They figured out how to manipulate the system so that they're now the top dog. They're now God. They're bullies, right? They're not honest. They're twisting people. They're, they're using them, right? A man's, uh, a man, uh, yeah, exactly. A man subjected to the word. Anybody who's subjected to the word is constantly convicted from the norms around us. We don't want to have anything to do with that stuff. If you're in the word, you recognize what's, what's missing. You recognize what's different. You can sense it. You can feel it. There's a reality to it, right? Then he says this, and this is a quote from Epimenides, who was a poet. Paul's quoting one of their people, 
which I thought was interesting. Uh, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Oof. <laughs> He's like, yep, that's it. And he says, verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. This is a messed up culture. This is a messed up place that he's in. But it was an absolute hub for the gospel. Paul knew this is a highly, do you think that, by the way, do you think that it's a coincidence that this place that would be a hub for the gospel is heavily armed in the demonic and, and, and evil realm. Think about that for a second, right? Like that, there's, there's, why is it like that? Why wouldn't it be? This is, this is a strategic point. This is, this is a big place where if the gospel takes root, now you have harbors, you have people coming in, people going out. It's easy to get everywhere. It's easy for when they come in, they can hear the good news of the gospel and go. People can, you could be planting churches all over the place from this location. Only problem is it's completely rotten and wicked. So what does Paul say to Titus? Run, get out of there. You gotta leave. And he says, nope. He says, nope you're going to look very different in this world. So what's, what's the solution? Don't conform to the corruption. Don't conform to the corruption. Rebuke it sharply. Call it out. Call it what it is. Say what it is. That they may be sound in the faith. Give the truth. Don't be conformed to the corruption. I think that's, so let's look at the church here. Let's think about this. Let's apply this biblical truth that was written to Titus for ancient Crete, Right? And let's apply it to us here and now, right? What's going around, uh, on around us? A lot of corruption, absolutely. What has happened to the church? Well, a lot of the church has fallen corruption, into corruption with it. They've decided, ah, uh, yeah, maybe Zeus really was kind of connected to Jesus. Uh, maybe we can kind of allow that to be. Well, I mean, gosh, this is kind of part of who we are. Uh, I don't know if I want to make that kind of a stand. I don't know if I really want to say that. I don't know if I really want to make it that a big deal. So there's the compromise, right? And we see that, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of Christians go that way, which really the compromise route where, is it really God's word? Is it, can we really trust it? Are, uh, are any of the, you know, counsel, you know, the, uh, creeds can we believe that stuff that we've you know that was from such a long time ago and can we you know read the bible and really believe it's the word of god you know that's just one step before they're nothing at all we've actually already started to see that happen nothing right or is the solution to run away no it's to address it stand and address it deal with it Live it out in reality. You address it with truth. You bring light. You bring hope. You bring peace. You bring joy into the midst of all the opposites. But you stand. You battle. You fight. Crete was an important island for the gospel. So it was not worth giving up that ground. No matter how corrupted it had become. I've said it before. I really believe the next generation has the potential to really flip all of this. And to just decide wholeheartedly to go after God. Because nothing is too gone. We know that. Right? And we've said it before. What, who in their right mind would have said, oh, you see this, uh, the hippies, you know? Oh, man. See them all doing drugs and being promiscuous, uh, you know? And, uh, you know, kind of like doing all this completely opposite stuff of what their parents were doing, you know? That is definitely going to be the next move of God. It's going to be through them for sure. No one said that. No one had that mindset. They're like, look at this gnarliness and this corruption. Look at all this craziness going on around us. Look at this. And then what ends up happening? The spirit of God starts moving. And how many of you are from that? You don't have to raise your hand, but they're, they're here, right? And that was the, what, how God moved, right? And then he used a, a many men, one of which was, Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, to minister to the hippies. He was never a hippie. He never tried to be a hippie. He couldn't grow his hair long anyway, right? 
then neither could Greg Laurie in a humbling turn of events, um, right? So it's like, that's not, wasn't the thing, right? I don't know if he surfed. Did he surf? Uh, who knows? We don't know. I don't know. You know, probably someone knows. But it was, that wasn't necessarily his cult. And a lot of people said it was his wife, Kay, that loved them first, which just sounds about right. It's always the wives that have the good idea and the husbands get the credit for it uh, in the ministry. Um, no. But what did they do? They went wholeheartedly after going after the youth and then these, these desperate youth who are looking for purpose and looking for hope. And really, if you, if you look at the world around us, and you look at the things that they're about, they are looking for hope and they are looking for purpose. It's so misguided, but they're, liter- they're looking for the right thing in all the wrong ways. And they're being affirmed that it's the right ways. That's where it gets really messed up. But... One of the things we do know, if it's the wrong way, the fruit's going to come out. And so there's going to be a whole bunch of kids going, you have, you have lied to me uh, for so long and said, if I did all this, my life would be good. And it is so the opposite of good. So what's the response? They turn to Jesus. I think it could happen because it, it could happen like that, right? You heard of some of the great revivals where uh, taverns and pubs are closed down overnight. People are turning themselves into authorities, confessing everything they've ever done wrong. The Spirit of God can move real, real quick. But we need to have these, these outposts where they have a place to go to, right? So we don't abandon ship and we don't become like the culture. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. This is all about the inner man change. It's everything. Transformation. So you show up, and you try to act like a Christian. You try to do everything that Christians seem to do. And you're like, ah, I can't fake it long enough. And a lot of people leave the faith because of that. Can I encourage you with something? You were never supposed to fake it. No one was ever asking you to fake it. So just be honest about where you're at. And, and it's amazing when you're honest and transparent, God meets you in that place. But you can't, so to the pure, all things are pure. That's because they're inside pure. To the, those who are defiled or dirty, you can't be pure because the inside's not pure. If, it's, if the inside is bad, it's all bad. You can't squeeze, you heard the saying, you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. I, one of my favorite things is finding out where some of these sayings come from. It's so funny. They're so wild. Or have you heard some of the like laws where like you can't have, I, this is one of my favorite ones I heard. You can't have a, an ice cream cone in your back pocket. I think it's like in Kentucky or something. You're like, yeah, it would be in Kentucky or something. You know, nothing, no beef with Kentucky. But apparently, Every, everything is for a reason, right? Isn't it funny? They would ha- put an ice cream in the back pocket and horses would follow them and then they'd steal them. Like, what? Okay, anyway. So we look at those rules and we go, what a dumb rule. You're like, well, it wasn't dumb for people who were having their horses stolen by, you know, people that... There's got to be another way, right? Anyway. Um, but if the inside is bad, everything's bad. You can't squeeze blood from a turnip. Uh, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, uh, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Don't just do the outside, do the inside. If you're doing the inside, the outside's going to get cleaned in the meantime right? Don't just make it look good or try to make it look good on the outside. If the inside's cleansed, everything will change. Woe to you. Next verse, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The fruit will be in the works, right? The works will reveal what's really going on inside of you. I heard it said, if, if, if you are Christian, if you, if you claim to be Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict your life? 
If you were on charge or on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence for you to be convicted? Or would it be like, I don't think he's a Christian. He's off scot-free. But if it's like, no, this, this man, this woman was absolutely a Christian. I saw it all over the place. Guilty. It's the best kind of guilty, right? <laughs> so we, the, fruit, the fruit will be in the works. Our life must line up with our heart. It will line up with our heart. What we really believe and what we really think, it, it, it's the way we will eventually go. Right? It's just the way it is. We need this transformation. We want to see real change. Because otherwise, what are we offering to the world? Come fake it like me. Come kind of be, look kind of like me. Get emotional at times, you know. Quote a Bible verse, but be rotten on the inside and feel horrible about yourself. No. Real transformation. God, here it is. This is all of it. I found that the more honest and raw that I am with God about where I'm actually at, the more he meets me and ministers to me in that place. It's like, are you ready? Here it is, God. Here's where I've, I feel just like a mess right here. Take it. Here it is. We are the, here's the thing, guys. This is why it's so important for transformation. First of all, because we're looking towards eternity, and that's for people who are transformed by the good news of the gospel. Those who are his, sealed by the Holy Spirit, but we are also the answer to the questions uh, of what people are looking for, what Christ has done in our lives and wants to do in us. That is, that's us. So it's so important. We are the preachers. We're the helpers. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. It's us. He's looking for us to do it. Right? It's not like, all right, God, come do your thing. We're ready. Go. Go. We've just been waiting. Do it. You know, it's like, no, you are actively involved in the process. God, help me to be a part of this and go do this for your namesake, for your glory. Help me to be a part of the, the long mission of God that you've, you've started from the very beginning and you've continued on into the church age and now are doing in us and that will be completed when Christ returns. We are part of a great legacy and a great lineage of those who have gone before us and those who will go after us. We get to carry the torch. Help us to do that in a place like Crete, in a place like California. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you and God bless.